I have therefore chosen this time and place to discuss a topic on which ignorance too often abounds and the truth too rarely perceived, and that is the most important topic on earth, peace. When it looked like the sun wasn't going to shine anymore, God put a rainbow in the clouds. Mm-mm-mm. In recent centuries, millions of people came to this land to pursue their dream of building a future in freedom. Welcome to An Uncommon Way Forward. Please join us along with our invited guest contributors as they share their unique and respected insights on how to live well, dream big, and love what you do. Hi, this is your host, Peter Willard. In the weeks and months to come, we'll explore, sometimes with determined purpose and other times with satire or parody the intended consequence, all manner of better living. Peer into the possibilities that dreaming big holds for each of us, or even glimpse great efforts of work excellence and the career fulfillment. Each episode, guest contributors will bring their insights to enlighten, challenge, and inspire us, I hope. Surely, each of us must always be open to exploring new and better ways to view our world. For many, the time to begin anew or change course, or even to blaze a brand new trail seems tempting, if not altogether necessary. In this, our first program, you will hear voices and words many of you will recognize. These selections symbolize topics and realities that in some cases have shaped a worldview recognized, if not embraced, in every corner of the globe. Their words characterize themes we will likely explore together over time. Hope, courage, justice. Integrity, good health, mindfulness, commitment to social well-being, a life of purpose, knowledge sharing, tolerance, truth, among others. These invocations, as it were, have found a special place in my soul, whether over television or a radio broadcast or at a live presentation where I first heard these illuminations. I have since been inspired by their insight and call to action. I now share them with you, and hope they resonate with you, at least in some small measure. In all manner of full disclosure, all copyrighted audio contained herein belongs to their respective copyright owners, and in common way forward, the John Anthony George Foundation does not claim ownership over any of these audio files or their content. I am grateful for the allowance the Copyright Act of 1976 and the principle of fair use it permits since the purpose of this program is to educate, inform, inspire, and be viewed with criticism where disagreement abides. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for listening. And Godspeed to all who seek the road less traveled. I have a dream that one day 
This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream. Recent research shows that many children who do not have enough to eat wind up with diminished capacity to understand and learn what is these days called cognitive impairment. Children don't have to be starving for this to happen. Even mild undernourishment, the kind that's most common among people in poverty in America, uh, can do it. It can happen before the baby is born, if the mother isn't eating enough. It can happen in infancy. It can happen in childhood. When there isn't enough food, the body has to make a kind of decision about how to invest the limited foodstuffs available to it. And survival comes first, growth comes second, and in this kind of uh, nutritional triage, the body seems obliged to rank learning last. And I remember being terribly moved by something that I read in a book of Heim Gnaz, probably his last book, and it read like this, and some of you I've shared this with, but bear with me because it will lead us down the path that I hope we can take together tonight. It's a very poignant thing, and it's written by a school principal who gave this to Gnaz. She said, I am a survivor of a concentration camp. My eyes saw what no person should witness. Gas chambers built by learned engineers. Children poisoned by educated physicians. Infants killed by trained nurses. Women and babies shot and killed by high school and college graduates. So I'm suspicious of education. My request is, Help your students to be human. Your efforts must never produce learned monsters, skilled psychopaths, or educated Eichmanns. Reading and writing and spelling and history and arithmetic are only important if they serve to make our students human. You know, there's one thing I'm sure of. There are maybe 2,000 people here tonight. There isn't one person who hasn't known loneliness. Isn't that wonderful? There isn't one person that hasn't known despair. Isn't that wonderful? There isn't one person that hasn't cried. But also, there aren't many that haven't laughed, that haven't known joy. And in all those ways, we can communicate we're alike because I've known it too. And we're all involved in the same struggle to become fully human, which is the best thing we can become.
But we can perhaps remember, even if only for a time, that those who live with us are our brothers, that they share with us the same short moment of life, that they seek as we do nothing but the chance to live out their lives in purpose and happiness, winning what satisfaction and fulfillment they can. Surely this bond of common faith, this bond of common goal, can begin to teach us something. Surely we can learn, at least, to look at those around us as fellow men. And surely we can begin to work a little harder to bind up the wounds among us and to become in our own hearts brothers and countrymen once again. The answer is to rely on you, not a time of life but a state of mind, a temper of the will, a quality of imagination, a predominance of courage over timidity, of the appetite for adventure over the love of ease, the cruelties and obstacles of this swiftly changing planet will not yield to the obsolete dogmas and outworn slogans. They cannot be moved by those who cling to a present that is already dying, who prefer the illusion of security to the excitement and danger that come with even the most peaceful progress. I see people in my state, middle class people, their taxes have gone up in Washington and their services have gone down while the wealthy have gotten tax cuts. I, I have seen what's happened in this last four years when, in my state, when people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. And I've been out here for 13 months, meeting in meetings just like this, ever since October, with people like you all over America. People that have lost their jobs, lost their livelihood, lost their health insurance. What I want you to understand is, the national debt is not the only cause of that. It is because America has not invested in its people. It is because we have not grown. It is because we've had 12 years of trickle-down economics. We've gone from first to twelfth in the world in wages. We've had four years where we produced no private sector jobs. Most people are working harder for less money than they were making 10 years ago. It is because we are in the grip of a failed economic theory. And this decision you're about to make better be about what kind of economic theory you want. Not just people saying, I want to go fix it, but what are we going to do? What I think we have to do is invest in American jobs, American education, control American health care costs, and bring the American people together again. Me, you, we, it is our duty. Let us become the first generation to decide to be the last. Let us become the first generation that decides to be the last that sees empty classrooms, lost childhoods, and wasted potentials. Let this be the last time that a girl or a boy spends their childhood in a factory. Let this be the last time that a girl is forced into early child marriage. Let this be the last time that a child loses life in war. Let this be the last time that we see a child out of school. Let this end with us. Let's begin this ending together 
today right here right now let's begin this ending now An Uncommon Way Forward is a creation of the John Anthony George Foundation, a fully recognized 501c3 devoted to providing educational and youth sports opportunities to the underserved among us. Support for our foundation's efforts and this program in part is made possible through the kindness of our generous benefactors. Simply visit with us at www.anuncommonwayforward.blogspot.com. As we come to the end of this phase of our life, we find ourselves trying to remember the good times and trying to forget the bad times. And we find ourselves thinking about the future. We start to worry, thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be in ten years? But I say to you, hey, Look at me. Please, don't worry so much. Because in the end, none of us have very long on this earth. Life is fleeting. And if you're ever distressed, cast your eyes to the summer sky. When the stars are strung across the velvety night, when a shooting star streaks through the blackness turning night into day make a wish think of me from this distant vantage point the earth might not seem of any particular interest but for us it's different consider again that dot that's here that's home that's us on it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, Every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. I also welcome the hearings because it is finally a forum where I can apologize 
to the loved ones of the victims of 9-11, to them who are here in the room, to those who are watching on television, your government failed you. Those entrusted with protecting you failed you. And I failed you. We tried hard, but that doesn't matter because we failed. And for that failure, I would ask, once all the facts are out, for your understanding and for your forgiveness. My fellow Americans, I am about to sign into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I want to take this occasion to talk to you about what that law means to every American. Our generation of Americans has been called on to continue the unending search for justice within our own borders. We believe that all men are created equal, yet many are denied equal treatment. We believe that all men have certain unalienable rights, yet many Americans do not enjoy those rights. We believe that all men are entitled to the blessings of liberty, yet millions are being deprived of those blessings not because of their own failures, but because of the color of their skin. The reasons are deeply embedded in history and tradition and the nature of man. We can understand without rancor or hatred how this all happened, but it cannot continue. I didn't know exactly what I was going to say to you until last week in a bar in, a, in an airport, uh, I met a man who told me a story. And after I heard the story, I knew exactly what I wanted to say to you. This is the story. This guy said he went to dinner at the home of friends, a young couple, and he noticed that the wife who was doing the cooking cut off the ends of the pot roast and put them in the pot separately. He asked her, why do you do that? She said, well, it makes the sauce richer, I think. It's the way my mother always did it. This uh, fellow said he likes to cook himself, and he knew this young woman's mother, so he called her the next day. So why do you cut the ends off the pot roast? The mother said, it helps the roast cook more evenly, I think. It's the way my mother always did it. Well, as it happened, the grandmother was still alive and the man knew her too, so he called her. Why did you cut the ends of the pot roast and put them into the pot separately? She said, oh, I had to. We never had a big enough pot. 
What I want to say to you is, do not do things as they have always been done. Our country very much needs a new generation that will think things through and do them differently. And thank you that you love peace. And thank you that uh, some of you visit the prisons on the side of justice and even go further to be on the side of mercy. You make me so proud to be a human being. I'm so grateful to be a human being. I might like being an elephant, I don't know. <laughs> but I love it. I just, I think of us and I, I'm, I'm filled with, uh, with the, the people who dare to be rainbows in people's clouds. I'm filled and, and sometimes I, I weep tears of great gratitude. I accept you as a rainbow in my cloud. I'll never forget you. And I ask you to accept me the same. When it looked like the sun wasn't going to shine anymore, you, each of you, as a holder and bringer of peace, becomes a rainbow in our cloud. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. Or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand and to comprehend and replace that violence, that stain of bloodshed that is spread across our land with an effort to understand. My favorite poem, I, my favorite poet was Aeschylus. He once wrote, even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another. Feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. Today I say as long as this gate is closed, as long as this scar of a wall is permitted to stand, it is not the German question alone that remains open, but the question of freedom for all mankind.
General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Everybody's got a right to live. Each individual is different, but we have a common vision, I think, a hope. And that is basically to be respected by that other person, I think. To be acknowledged and to make a living and to make some little dent in life. You know, I perhaps end this way. There was a laborer. I'm through. I'm just a laborer. He's, but I got that feeling inside me sometimes rage. But I want to, what have I got to leave when I die? See, I want to pass one day, he says, I want to pass a skyscraper with my little boy. And I would love to see, we have the name of the architect at the bottom. I'd love to see a strip of metal or something from the top story to the bottom, with the name of every iron worker, of every molder, of every scrub woman, of every secretary, of every elevator operator in that building. And there's my name among them, too. And I could say to the kid, that's me up there. That's me up there. I think that's what it's all about. of the world now look into space to the moon and to the planets beyond and we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest but by a banner of freedom and peace we have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction but with instruments of knowledge and understanding Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first. And this will be done in the decade of the 60s. The great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it. He said because it is there. Well, space is there, and we're going to climb it and the moon and the planets are there, and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Hello, I'm Severin Suzuki speaking for ECHO, the Environmental Children's Organization. We're a group of 12 and 13-year-olds trying to make a difference. We've raised all the money to come here ourselves, to come 5,000 miles to tell you adults you must change your ways. In my life, I have dreamt of seeing the great herds of wild animals, jungles and rainforests full of birds and butterflies. But now I wonder if they will even exist for my children to see. Did you have to worry of these things when you were my age? 
I am only a child, yet I know if all the money spent on war was spent on finding environmental answers, ending poverty, and finding treaties, what a wonderful place this earth would be. You are deciding what kind of a world we are growing up in. Parents should be able to comfort their children by saying, everything's going to be all right. It's not the end of the world, and we're, and we're doing the best we can. But I don't think you can say that to us anymore. Are we even on your list of priorities? Make your actions reflect your words. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. Good evening. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. The images of 9-11 are seared into our national memory. And yet we know that the worst images are those that were unseen to the world. The empty seat at the dinner table, children who were forced to grow up without their mother or their father, parents who would never know the feeling of their child's embrace, nearly 3,000 citizens taken from us, leaving a gaping hole in our hearts. We offered our neighbors a hand, and we offered the wounded our blood. We reaffirmed our ties to each other and our love of community and country. On that day, no matter where we came from, what God we prayed to, or what race or ethnicity we were, we were united as one American family. The cause of securing our country is not complete, but tonight we are once again reminded that America can do whatever we set our mind to. That is the story of our history. Whether it's the pursuit of prosperity for our people or the struggle for equality for all our citizens, our commitment to stand up for our values abroad, and our sacrifices to make the world a safer place. Many of your contemporaries, alas, know too little of our history. 
Too many of your contemporaries, alas, are historically illiterate. And it's not their fault. They can't be blamed for not knowing what they haven't been taught. And it's a tried and true old adage in every commencement ceremony that your education is just beginning. And the reason it's repeated again and again is because it's true. And because some things bear repeating again and again. If your experience is anything like mine, the most important books in your life you have still to read. If your information, if your experience is anything like mine, the people who will open your minds, open your eyes to further understanding have still to enter your lives. I write the books I write in order to find out. Every book I undertake is a journey in learning, and so it can be for you. I hope you see lots of the world. I hope you can enter into work that you love, choose vocations, if possible, not just for the money. And I hope that before you leave here today, or at some time very soon, you will thank in person or in writing those teachers here, those members of the faculty here, who have changed your way of seeing, who have opened your eyes to the world of the mind and the world of books. Once we knew this in America, we were told by those free thinkers of Concord. I'm not talking about Concord, which gave us sheets and towels. I'm talking about Concord, which gave us Emerson and Thoreau. It was Thoreau who saw 150 years ago that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and who wrote, my life is like a stroll upon the beach as near the ocean's edge as I can go. It was Thoreau, our genuine American philosopher who defied authority and despised commerce, who went to the woods because he said, I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Think for yourselves. The way of the crowd is not your way. Great things are not accomplished by those who yield to trends and fads and popular opinion. They are accomplished by individuals who take untraveled roads. For 14 long years, our nation has been at war. Our people are sick and tired of war. This resolution simply opened the doors to bring American soldiers home. Let me be clear. We must maintain a strong national defense. We have a responsibility to protect our borders, our diplomats, and Americans at home and abroad. But the inner terrorism is not fine through the barrel of a gun or more boots on the ground. More weapons cannot stump out the root of cause of terrorism, and more bombs cannot eradicate the seeds of hate. Over and over again, 
have stood on this very floor and reminded my colleagues that the use of force cannot, must not be taken lightly. President John F. Kennedy once said, those who make peaceful resolution and revolution impossible would make a violent revolution inevitable. Hate begets hate. As Martin Luther King Jr. would say, violence begets violence. These young people must be our focus. We must lift them up and listen to the regional voices for peace. We must counter the consequences of violence by demonstrating that diplomacy and the spread of true democracy are the most effective weapons against terrorism. One evening, a gentleman came to our house and said, there is a Hindu family with eight children, have not eaten for a long time. Do something for them. And I took rice and I went immediately. And there was this mother, those little ones' faces, shining eyes from sheer hunger. She took the rice from my hands. She divided it into two and she went out. When she came back, I asked her, where did you go? What did you do? And one answer she gave me, they are hungry also. She knew that the next door neighbor, a Muslim family, was hungry. What surprised me most, not that she gave the rice, but what surprised me most, that in her suffering, in her hunger, she knew that somebody else was hungry. And she had the courage to share. And she had the love to share. And all those watching tonight from beyond our shores, from parliaments and palaces, to those who are huddled around radios in the forgotten corners of the world, our stories are singular, but our destiny is shared. And a new dawn of American leadership is at hand. To those, to those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we proved once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Forgive me, Dr. Jacobs. Are you an M.D.? A Ph.D. A Ph.D.? Yes, sir. In psychology? No, sir. Theology? No. Social work? 
I have a PhD in English literature. I'm asking because on your show, people call in for advice, and you go by the name Dr. Jacobs on your show, and I didn't know if maybe your listeners were confused by that and assumed you had advanced training in psychology, theology, or healthcare. I don't believe they are confused, no, sir. Good. I like your show. I like how you call homosexuality an abomination. I don't say homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does. Leviticus. 18.22. Chapter and verse. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery, as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Think about those questions, would you? One last thing. While you may be mistaking this for your monthly meeting of the ignorant tight-ass club, in this building when the president stands, nobody sits. Toby. Yes, Mr. President. That's how I beat him. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit? Yes. Settle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot. They say that for old guys like me, giving good advice is the compensation for no longer being able to set a bad example. Uh, maybe so, but I have really thought about this, and this is my best advice. Be kind to one another. Be tolerant. Read your Shakespeare. Come to realize that Beethoven's Ninth Symphony has even more to say outside of class than in it. But most of all, stroll on the beach as close to the ocean as you can. Do not cut off the ends of the pot roast without knowing why. Think your own thoughts. Go your own way.
What topics would you like to hear on our program? Know anyone who might serve our show's purpose as a guest contributor? Email us at breakout at ai-ltd.net or leave a voicemail at 515-978-8173. And for notes on today's program and other matters germane to our work at the John Anthony George Foundation, please visit with us at anuncommonwayforward.blogspot.com. As always, thanks for joining us. See you next time. And remember to live well, dream big, and love what you do.